a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program. This is Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. Episode 7. You're listening to it right now. I'm grateful to you for doing so. Please, if, you, uh, if, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, if you like the, the content, the topics we've chosen, uh, please let me uh, ask you, please, to invite your friends to listen, your family members. This is a new program. We're trying to build our audience. We'd love as many folks listening as possible uh, because we think we offer a good program. We put a lot of work into these uh, shows in the morning. And if there is anything you'd like to see that we're not doing or any improvements, the, the text line is 57500. That's the Utah Community Credit Union text line. In the last segment, we spoke with Miles Hansen, the president and CEO of World Trade Center Utah. He spoke with us and was singing the praise of a piece of legislation out of the office of Utah Senator Mike Lee. He talked about the Fairness for High-Skilled Immigrants Act. And uh, we have on the line now uh, your Senator Mike Lee. Sir, how are you? Doing great. Thanks so much, Lee. It's good to be with you. Thank you. Likewise. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to give you a break here. I bet you you've been fielding immigrate, or I'm sorry, uh, impeachment questions for the last little while. Uh, we're going to step away from that a, a little bit. One of the themes of the show uh, this week has been that while, yes, impeachment is dominating the headlines and dominating certainly the airwaves on the cable news networks and the national newspapers and uh, maybe even conversations around the water cooler, there are other things happening in Washington. And you have been involved in, in two of those such things. Uh, first off, the, the Fairness for High-Skilled Immigrants Act. Sir, could, could I just ask you, uh, where do things stand there? And, and, and how does it look? How does that effort uh, uh, look on your end? Thanks for asking me about this, Lee. We've had some great progress on the Fairness for High-Skilled Immigrants Act recently. In fact, we've come very close to final passage a number of times, including within the last 24 hours. You know, immigration reform's tough. Some people insist that everything wrong with our immigration system has to be solved in one gigantic piece of legislation. I think the evidence shows that the opposite is true. Um, that, you know, putting everything in one bill is, is a path to failure, especially in the immigration context. Uh, but there are a lot of common sense things we can do to make our immigration system better right now, things that both sides can agree on. And ending country of origin discrimination in our nation's immigration laws, especially with regard to employment-based, uh, high-skilled uh, immigrant visas, is one of the small things we can do to make our country better. And, and that's what the Fairness for High-Skilled Immigrants Act does. Uh, I, I've, I've had um, a debate for the last few months with Senator Dick Durbin from Illinois. He's been against it. I've been for it. In the last 24 hours, he and I announced that we have reached a compromise and something that we think we can get past soon. Outstanding. Well, let me ask you, when talking about these high-skilled jobs, g give us uh, maybe some anecdotal examples of what might be one of these high-skilled jobs occupied by someone taking advantage of this visa program. Okay, so the, the scope of this bill is really quite simple, and it's quite narrow. This deals specifically with those individuals who are otherwise eligible for a green card. There, there are a certain number of visas available each year of immigrant visas, also known as green cards. Um, some of those, by law, are designated for family-based immigration, you know, people who are related to U.S. citizens, for example. Others are set aside 
for employment-based uh, immigrant visas. And many of those are people like, you know, computer or software engineers, uh, people who certain, bring certain skills to the table, skills that we wouldn't otherwise have access to to the same degree if we didn't um, have the opportunity to bring them into this country. For those who were coming on an employment-based uh, green card, an employment-based immigrant visa, they're subject to this arbitrary per-country cap where the, the law essentially discriminates against people from heavily populated countries like India and China. So if you imagine two would-be immigrants, one from, say, India, the other from Germany, they otherwise are identical in their application. They've got the same job skills, the same uh, uh, priority uh, they would otherwise have under immigration law, but they just have one difference. One's from India, one's from China. Sure. The guy from 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 Germany, rather, uh, might apply and get his visa within a year. The guy from India might be on there for 20 years. And this is arbitrary, and this bill gets rid of that. Let me ask you this, and this is just curiosity and a question that just occurred to me now. What was the rationale for implementing these uh, these numbers and these percentages at the onset? You know, it's, it's hard to say for sure because this thing dates at least back to the 1950s. Uh, but I, I suspect... It was um, sort of a creepy reason, a, a reason having to do with race, uh, a re- reason that we would find very offensive today. People saying, well, we don't want too many people of a particular ethnicity coming into the country. And they thought that one way of achieving uh, uh, some safeguards around that uh, might be to cap the number of immigrants coming in uh, from a particular country in a particular year. I just think we've moved beyond that. And there are a lot of ways we can allocate the number of visas available, the percentage of them available for employment-based versus family-based integrant visas, uh, and and the the skills that we're looking for. But a particularly dumb reason is country of origin. Uh, We're better than that as a country. There's no valid basis for using that as an arbitrary distinction. We shouldn't do it. We just have a, a few minutes left uh, to speak to one another. I want to talk about uh, another topic. I'll tell you what, right now in the newsroom, is a little behind the scenes, sir. Here in the newsroom, we are pretty much dialed into this impeachment thing. And uh, we have a number, you've been here in studio, you know how it is. We have uh, t- TV screens all over the place. One of them is keeping an eye on both the floor of the House and uh, also the floor of the Senate. Well, uh, th- this morning during uh, the morning news, we looked up and saw that you, sir, were speaking from the floor of the House. And we thought, oh my gosh, he's talking about impeachment. Get him on the air right away. And so uh, so you, we, we broadcast a number of your remarks earlier this morning. And if I'm honest, I was surprised and pleased to hear that, in fact, wasn't impeachment about which you were speaking, but rather a, a pair of spending bills this morning. Uh, and now while I was glad that you were talking about uh, something other than impeachment, when I when I heard that you were, were, were frustrated with the way things were playing out, uh, I, I, I tuned in even in closer. Sir, w- what were you saying this morning? What was the point you'd like to make? I was talking about the spending package that the Senate passed earlier today. Um, this is a bad process. It reminds me of a John F. Kennedy quote when he said uh, that to govern is to choose. Congress is defining dysfunction in itself that it doesn't choose. It chooses not to choose. Congress hasn't been budgeting or reforming. We don't prioritize. We just spend. And we hope we're either re- retired or dead. Uh, when the bill for our negligence and recklessness comes due. So this spending package that the Senate's in the process of passing today, uh, not only does it 
feature reckless spending, but it includes a whole lot of bills that it should not include. You know, uh, funding broken, inefficient, and even harmful programs. It reauthorizes the flood insurance program, $20 billion in subsidies for for beachfront mansions, the Land and Water Conservation Fund, $500 million for new land acquisition by the federal government, by far the largest landowner in the country. And we have a $19 billion maintenance backlog. Reauthorizes the Import-Export Bank for seven years. This is a crony capitalist program that has been uh, a a real benefit to the Mexican-owned petroleum company Pemex and to the government of China, but is bad for everyday American taxpayers. This this bill is chock full of handouts for lobbyists and special interests in Washington, but it perpetuates a trillion-dollar-plus annual deficit and that's bad for the American people. It's bad for Utah. You are not a fan of, of, of these, these pair of bills, nor are you a fan of the process which led us to be voting on them today. Accurate? That is accurate. And, you know, it's really much worse than just the amount of spending that's occurring through Washington or the fact that it's uncontrolled. It's also about the fact that it disenfranchises most American voters. It, it, it really concentrates power in what I call the four-man law firm of uh, McConnell, Schumer, Pelosi and McCarthy. Uh, This is wrong, and it cuts almost everyone else else out of the process, leaving the public with no meaningful opportunity for amendment or debate or discussion. We're out of time for today, Senator, but what I would like to do is, once the dust settles, once impeachment is behind us, sometime into the next year, I'd like to speak to you again about how you would prefer to see uh, these types of spending measures play out. Uh, I am grateful to you for your time. Thanks for joining us, and thank you for the work you're doing in Washington. Thanks so much, Lee. Thanks a lot. Uh, listen, you're listening to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This is KSL News Radio. Uh, stick around. In the next segment, we're going to be speaking to Marlon Lynch. He is the newly hired chief safety officer at the University of Utah. You're aware of the tragedies which have befallen the university community in this past year. The university has a plan, and here is step one in implementing that plan. Next, here on Live Mike, I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.